What's up? And welcome to Pre-Loons. You know about Post-Loons, our Minnesota United post-game show after every MNUFC match. Well, we're introducing you now to Pre-Loons, a little match day, pre-match content for your eyes and ears. Bring in sort of a uh, an expert on the Loons opponent for that particular day and that particular week. And today, we're previewing Minnesota United's 2023 home opener at a most likely snowy Allianz field versus the New York Red Bulls. And here to help us do just that is independent Red Bulls reporter, Eric Friedlander. Eric, how are we doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, happy to have you here. Happy to chat about the match this weekend. Um, when was the last time there was snow during a match at Red Bull Arena? Because this is not uncommon for Allianz Field to see snow for their home opener. We had the, we call it the snowpener for the very first MLS home match against Atlanta United in 2017. It snowed at the very first match at Allianz Field uh, in 2019. Uh, there was a random really nice day. Uh, it was like a St. Patrick's Day opener in 2018 where it was like 60 degrees. It was awesome. But that is not the norm. The norm is kind of what we're going to see on Saturday with a 90% chance of snow. I'm just wondering, when was the last time or has there been snow during a match at Red Bull Arena? Yeah, I don't remember any at Red Bull Arena. I know there was one playoff game against, I think, D.C. that might have been conjunction with Hurricane Sandy or something like that, where I know they were shoveling the field before the game and then the game might have gotten canceled. I remember something of that, but that was definitely when I was in like middle school, high school. So I wasn't as locked in as I am now. I know we've had some away games. We had a game against Colorado that was in 2016. That was an April game, kind of big spring snowstorm in Denver. So that was the one that sticks out to me, but nothing at Red Bull Arena because Obviously, with the later start days, it's not as common. But now that we get earlier, it's more more likely. Shovels are a very inside joke here uh, at Soda Soccer. Our very first podcast we did, we were all also watching a Colorado Rapid CCL match against somebody. And they had to stop every five minutes, it seemed, to like shovel the field. So shovel talk is very, uh, very much welcome here on the uh, on the, the preloons or any Soda Soccer podcast. So I appreciate you for... Uh, for bringing that into the conversation here. Uh, but let's move on to what we can expect on the field aside from the snow on Saturday. And I'm going to start with the obvious question here, Eric, as it pertains to New York. Uh, what is wrong with this Red Bulls team up front early on? No goals in two matches, despite having everyone's dark horse MVP candidate in Lewis Morgan. I know they had a ton of shots against Orlando, but couldn't find the back of the net. Uh, but why can't they seem to score early on here in 2023? Yeah, no, it's an interesting conundrum, and I think one that a lot of Red Bull fans are kind of throwing around theories and ideas about. I think some of it is just early season rust. There's They're also playing teams that want to bunker. So like Orlando against Red Bulls have consistently kind of been a low block defending team, look to hit you on the counter. Same thing, Nashville, that is just built in, like strong defense and then hit you on the counter. So naturally there aren't as much space you don't if you don't create the turnover you have to be more clinical when you get your chance and they just haven't been as clinical I think against Nashville they had some good chances same thing against Orlando they had some good opportunities and they just didn't take it and it's Red Bulls are always we always say kind of Red Bull land you score one you score two you score three it's kind of once you can open up teams and make them force them to play then you can 
that plays into the Red Bull style. That plays into that high press. They have to open up their game state. They have to try to be more expansive, and that leaves more room for counterattacks and more room for counterpressing and things of that nature and allows the Red Bull to get off the field. They don't want to get off the ball. They don't always want to be 60% possession. They'd rather be 40% possession. So, like, Nashville allows you to have the ball. That's not always their strength. So some of it is teams have been kind of – playing we've been playing teams that are very strong defensively and some of it is just the execution making the right pass and so we've been kind of taking the shot on the pass we should have passed or passing when we should have shot so some of it is just finding that confidence i think once that first goal goes in they'll start the flood for the red bulls because the tagging talent's there well i hate to break it to you eric i wish i could tell you that the loons are any different than uh than nashville or orlando but without emmanuel reynoso they are definitely the sit back uh, and try to attack on the counter, try to hit, try to hit, you know, take whatever opportunity you're given on the counter. I think that had something like 35% possession against uh, FC Dallas. So probably more of the same from a Red Bulls perspective against Minnesota United. But uh, speaking of defense, uh, New York has been quite solid uh, at the back over these uh, first two matches. Only one shot on goal conceded. Unfortunately, that did turn out to be the match winner for Orlando in week one. But it looks like specifically center backs Andres Reyes and Sean Nealis both seem to be in extremely good form early on. Um, What's been the difference at the back through these two matches, kind of opposite to what's been happening up front? Yeah, so I would say for starters, like obviously Sean Nealis has been kind of the starting center back for the past two seasons, going on three seasons now. He's a ca- mm-hmm. he's the captain. He's kind of always been this rock at the back. And Andres Reyes has always flashed talent, uh, but he's always been a little injury prone. Last year he had a kind of major injury right in preseason. He had a Jones fracture. So he it's not always that he's injury prone. He just had a serious foot injury that required surgery that they discovered during preseason physicals. So it was kind of this thing. He seemed healthy, and then he had this major surgery, had to miss half the season, basically. But he's now fully healthy, and I think a fully healthy Andres Reyes is probably the best, one of the best center backs in the league. I think he's a better center back than Aaron Long, even. So like people talk about, oh, you lost Aaron Long. Why has the defense regressed? It's because, honestly, Andres Reyes is probably a better fit and a better defender because his instincts on like the first step, so when the ball is played into an attacker – he beats attackers to that ball. His first step towards the ball is really strong. And that helps when you're in a pressing system because you have to be aggressive and you have to win those 50-50, those first balls and those aerial balls. So I think it really starts with Nielus and Andres Reyes. And then you put John Tolkien, a left back, who's top three, top two left backs in the league. And he's really matured. It's kind of like his position. And part of it, like, he's really evolved from just being like, okay, here's an upcoming prospect to – this kind of new level of confidence, like this is his team, this is his position, and he's kind of made it his own. And he's just, players aren't getting past him, and you're seeing the team's best players switching sides to get away from him. So he's, it's kind of those three, and then whoever's the right back has just been kind of cycling through, like it was Cameron Harper, he's been very solid as attacking right back, or it'll probably be Kyle Duncan the start, because Cameron Harper has a concussion, so he's an attacking fullback as well, but the those three really allow and provide a lot of space coverage and aggressiveness that just makes it hard for teams to get anything started. Now, many of the uh, national experts, if you will, both on MLS and I've, you know, I've seen some other places as well, the athletic, you know, they're pretty high 
on the Red Bulls this season. Um, you know, a lot of people picking them at least finish top three in the East had some people predicting them to win the Eastern conference and be serious, you know, MLS cup candidates here in 2023. Did, have you felt the same way coming into the season and has this sort of slow start sort of altered those expectations at all? Sort of what, do, how are you feeling about the Red Bulls just for 2023 overall? I don't think it alters my expectations in any way. I'm still rather bullish on the team. I think mm. They still have new pieces that they're integrating. Corey Burke, Dante Van Zier. Like there's new pieces that they're integrating, which makes it kind of a little harder to judge fully where they are. They still have some players coming back from injury. Daniel Edelman didn't play all preseason. He was arguably the best center mid at the end of last season. So there was a lot of good things. I think a lot of that bullishness comes from they have continuity. They only lost one key piece in Aaron Long. So they bring back the core of their squad and now you end add a DP striker, someone who's supposed to be a 10, 15 plus goal scorer in this league. That's the idea. So it's kind of those combinations lead to the expectations. And internally the team is very high on themselves. They believe they should be a top three team in the East contending for a top seed, potentially a shield. So it kind of is a combination of you got continuity, you have this brand new striker who's, the big signing, $5 million, almost a record signing. So it's all those things and then internal expectations. And they looked really good in preseason too. I got to see them in Coachella. I saw them play Minnesota and I saw them play LA and they looked sharp. They were undefeated throughout preseason. Obviously, preseason is preseason. The regular season, it's its own thing. So there's not a direct carryover. But the way they've kind of controlled games still leaves me very bullish. I think they just need to see that first goal hit the back of the net and it's kind of go time from there. Let me ask you the same question about Minnesota. Um, you know, were you as sort of bearish on the loons as some in the national media were and, and kind of similar to my second part of the last question, does that win in Dallas change anything for you there? It doesn't change a ton. I think, over the course of the season, if Reynoso doesn't come back, it's going to be very tough. Yep. Unless they find a good replacement, I think they have a TAM player on the way, potentially, mm -hmm. um, or a young DP, I'm not 100% sure. But it seems like they just need that piece, and without that piece, it's going to be hard to sustain that over the course of the season. I definitely, watching them in preseason, I wasn't like, blown away i thought okay this team is one that may struggle this year it could be a down year especially if you because it just seemed to me watching them everything runs through ran through reynosa so how quickly can you adjust how quickly can you adapt tactically to playing more of a team game or not having that central point person that is the focus of defenders as well as the focus of your entire game plan how you build your attack so I think it changes a little bit. I think there kind of could be squeaking into that mid table, but it's, I try not to overreact, overreact to those early first couple games. Cause there's just the real test is kind of 10 games in, eight games in is where you start yeah. to see depth issues. You get into open cup, you get into leagues cup this year. There's so many more games. It's yeah. depth is going to be a big thing. And if you're missing that star key player or you don't have the depth, throughout your squad, that is where issues crop up. One injury can change the whole view of a, a team if you don't have the pieces to back up. 
Yeah, I was sending some off-air conversations to some people. I'm like, you know what? If, if Minnesota's not going to make the playoffs, maybe this is the year to not make the playoffs so you're not playing 50 games. And, you know, maybe it'll set you up better for the long term to, to not have these guys running out, you know, you know, half a half a century worth of games or or whatever over over the course of a season. But no, I I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about Minnesota's ability to change styles and play more of a grinded out game without that Reynoso esque number ten because that is Adrian Heath's system at its best is going through a number ten and having that central attacking midfielder really be the quarterback of the attack and dictate everything through them. But they have shown in the past, 2019 is a prime example that they can play more of a grinded out, defensively focused, sit back and counter when you can type style and play that to some success. Is that going to get you top two, top three in the West? No. Is that going to win you a playoff game? It'll be hard. But I do think that that Minnesota is still very much in the playoff conversation without Ray. It's just how sustainable is that? Over the it kind of puts of a hard ceiling on it does the expectation. It's I think it's very akin to what RSL was last year. Mm-hmm. Like they have some talent. They lost Crylock, so how did they adjust? They brought in some loans. They were kind of backfilling the roster at the end of the year to kind of look towards next year, but they just played really hard and they kind of were defensively solid and they just were really just a hard team to beat because they gave a lot of effort and if you can give a lot of effort you can squeak into a once again expanded playoff field like yeah it's easier and easier to get into the playoffs so definitely like I don't think your ceiling is a top five team in the west but your ceiling could still be anyone can be in that nine to seven range just by being a really hard team to beat I think St. Louis is going to be in that range like I think they'll fall off because I think once you get past their first group that 12, 13 players they have. It's a real drop in quality, and that's mm-hmm. typical for an expansion team. But their first 11 is still pretty solid, and Minnesota similar. They're still pretty solid first 11, and it's just if you're going to grind out and work hard, you can make it into those kind of edge places. It's just a matter of how sustainable that is. You lose one or two players, and if you don't have that goal score, you can have a big drought periods. That brings up a good question about New York. How do you feel about their ability to compete in all the different, you know, com- competitions that are going to be happening here in 2023? Like, do they have the depth to, you know, continue to to keep it up in the league, but also compete in, say, an Open Cup or a League's Cup or any one of those competitions? How are they filling out the roster in a way that's conducive for those? Yeah, the really only big issue for Red Bull is kind of defensive depth. They are pretty soft, weak at center back. They have Matt Nosita from the Naval Academy, the 6'8 draft pick last season. He looks like a good player, but he hasn't played really much professional soccer. He had a little bit of games in the championship USL last year, and he's played preseason this year, but that's it. So he's like number three on the depth chart. So there's talks that they're trying to add a fourth center back there, third center back. So that's kind of a weak spot, and they don't really have a great backup for John Tolkien, they have a couple of homegrown kids, but unproven college kids. They're not like right home. Like, okay, we definitely feel totally comfortable about like there's a drop off, especially from a guy who's a fringe national team player. So that's definitely where Red Bull is weakest is the depth at center back and left back. Center mid is kind of where they're strong. They have Frankie Amaya, Christian Casares, Drew Yearwood, and then two young homegrowns and Peter Stroud, who was arguably college soccer's best player last year and Daniel Edelman, who's the U20 captain 
and will probably be on that U-20 national team and in the Olympics. And if he's healthy, he's probably one of the team's best center mids. That's kind of a six mm-hmm. type of center mid. So that's kind of where the strength is. And then they have four solid strikers in Dante Van Zaire, uh, Corey Burke, Elias Manuel, and Tom Barlow can give you some effort off the bench and kind of he'll always give you a lot of hard running. So in those like summer games where you just need someone to – test the back line and put them under pressure. He's going to do that hard running for you. Yeah. I'm interested to see how teams like New York navigate that with so many guys who may not get a ton of minutes in MLS, like sort of using these alternative competitions as a way to get a better look at some of these younger players and some of these, maybe these more kind of reserve uh, type players over the course of the season, how they compete at the, at the top tier on the first team in these competitions. It could almost be flipped and be a positive where you get a better opportunity to see what these guys can do in that environment. It seems like, seems like the Red Bulls kind of have a few guys who they might want to give that opportunity to. Yeah, totally. I think League's Cup really will be an opportunity for some of these homegrown players who come out of college or coming up from the Red Bull 2 system. I mean, that's always been a strength of the Red Bulls. They have a very strong academy and it keeps turning out, especially at the center mid position. It's a real strength there specifically. They're kind of looking at how they can optimize to make more than just center mids. But when I talk to the people at the academies, they're, they're like, we just keep producing really elite high level center mid prospects year over yeah. year. So it, clearly something's there that keeps turning center mids through the academy system. But um yeah it's a that's really a strength so they want to promote they want to play young kids so i think something like a league's cup is where you'll see someone like peter stroud really get a chance to earn it or see someone like even steven serwata ugandan international who came over through red bull 2 through a connection of ibrahim sagaya like who is the red bull 2 coach and a longtime assistant former player so there's kind of like there's a lot of young, interesting talent who haven't always proved themselves. So that's going to be a really great opportunity to have. I think those extra games are great for a team like Red Bull, who maybe don't need to worry about winning League's Cup. Like, I don't think any team is saying like, yeah, League's Cups, that's the trophy we want to win this year. Yeah. But it's a great <laughs> opportunity to, to test your players. And because the league stops for it, it's not yeah. like as much of a congestion fix, like congestion of fixtures. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, let's get back to to Saturday and let's talk about Lewis Morgan a little bit. He is somebody I've heard multiple people from different places mention him as like a dark horse MVP candidate this year. He played only forty five minutes against Nashville. Um, for I guess first questions first is he is he fit and ready to go for Saturday? Is there some in- injury issues with him? Yeah, so he came off at halftime of the last game, and it was not really known at the time what the reason was in the stadium. I think a lot of us just thought he was having a bad game and Gerhard kind of does this from time to time. He'll pull a guy at halftime and just uh, if you're not playing well, but it seemed it came out later that he was on a minute restriction or he was somewhat limited due to injury, but Gerhard Schuber in his press conference today said he was fully fit. So we'll see. I could see him, especially with cold weather, if it's a muscle injury being limited to maybe 60 minutes, but I would expect him to start. I think, for the Red Bulls, he's kind of an interesting player. They gave him a big extension, but they have two very – they play this 4 triple two system where Lewis Morgan and Lukinas play as these kind of inverted attacking mids. They kind of hover in the half space, and I don't know if either is perfect for that. I think Lukinas is best as a left attacking mid, and Lewis Morgan wants to play on the left because they both want our best cutting in onto their right. 
So it's a little bit of a square peg round hole situation where one of those two is probably not in their best spot. And so far it's been Luquinhas playing as the right attacking mid and Lewis Morgan as a left. So I always said throughout this offseason, if I was the Red Bulls, I would have tried to sell high, see if a team in Scotland or Europe was willing to pay one to two million. He's coming off a career season. I don't I don't foresee him replicating that. A lot of his goals did come off penalties. He's still a very good player, but he's he's the type of player who's going to dribble with the ball, kind of kick it past you and run past you, use his pace to his advantage. He's not like a high-level passer, I would say. So I wouldn't expect him to thread the needle on the ball or kind of make the killer pass. And that's somewhat of the Red Bulls' offensive struggles. They don't have that kind of decisive, incisive passer who's going to just play that one ball that's perfect right onto the striker's foot. So it's a little more brute forcing it through the middle, through the wings. So mm-hmm. finding where Morgan fits best is kind of a strip problem. I think Gerhard Schruber has to figure out and kind of how it works into this four triple two striker formation that they've been experimenting with and trying to make work for many years now, every off season. It's like, here's, this is the year. And I think this could be the season. Like I think they have the strikers to make it work. It never worked in the past because Bradley Wright Phillips is a generational striker who's very, very good with one and not very good with two. Like his type of play is very much geared to him being the focal point striker. Well, with when so when you play, paired someone with him, it was like you give him half the field, it doesn't give him the movement, the space to kind of make those moves. So that's why it never worked in the past. It's like for as good as Bradley Wright Phillips is, he's not great with a partner. So I think Dante Van Zier always played with a partner in Belgium, like he was always in a two striker formation, usually some sort of three, five, two, three, four, three sort of formation with a central attacking mid. So I think that will work better. It's just kind of figuring out how those two center attacking mids, Morgan and Luquinhas, work together to kind of find the overloads, find the overlaps to get clearer chances. Cause that was that's been the big issue with the Red Bulls for a while now. They don't get a lot of tap-ins. They score a lot of really nice goals from outside mm-hmm. the box. So I think that's the interest and the try the desire for the Red Bulls this year is to create better chances and so far, they haven't found them, but I think they're kind of knocking on that door. I saw better things against Nashville this past weekend. I'll tell you what, you talk about Morgan not having many non-penalty goals last season. He probably would have had two or three if it weren't two or three more if it weren't for Dane St. Clair standing on his head at Red Bull Arena last year. So just keep that in mind yeah. uh, as well. But uh the Red Bull U23, Dane St. Clair. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There you go. Um, all right, we've made it to that point in the show, Eric. It's prediction time. Give me a score prediction for the uh, the frozen tundra that will be Allianz Field on Saturday for Loon's Red Bulls. I'm going to say I'm always an optimist, so I'm going to probably say two one to the Red Bulls. Okay, I think they get off the score, they get onto the scoring sheet, and that will open up a floodgate, and then they probably have like a silly goal that they give away. But I could also see, this is another prediction, a red card. When they played in preseason, it was a very chippy game. Yes, for it was. Pre-season. I remember hearing that. A lot of pushing and shoving, a lot of afters, kind of after whistles, after fouls. So it's not that long ago. It's only like three or four weeks from that game. So, And that was probably both teams at 80% top rosters. So Got it. it'll be interesting if there's any kind of knock-on carryover a little bit of 
fighting in this game because I expect it to be aggressive. I expect it to be feisty with strong tackles going in. So, yeah, I'll go 2 1 and a potential red card. Yeah, you know, I, I just I don't see I don't see a team getting a crooked number in this one as far as goals go. Just just based off the the weather and then how defensively sound both teams have been or both teams are theoretically too based off on paper and what we've seen in the early part of the season. I just think it's going to be really tough for a team to get get more than a goal. If a team does it, I think it'll be the Red Bulls and not Minnesota. But uh I yeah, you know, I, think- I see this Go ahead. It's winter games are so tricky because you think, oh, it's hard to play, balls harder, everything. It's hard to score, but then it's like you get a little slow. It's easy for a defender to slip or make a pass that they think is going to have the right weight on it, and then boom, it's picked off because it's under hit because it gets held up in the snow. So there's so many variables that could lead to a high scoring game just because you think, oh, it's bad weather, but that orange ball comes out and chaos ensues. <laughs> Hey, whichever team's wearing the white kits, that that is the team who has the advantage on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to say first, I'm not going to give an actual win prediction, but I think it's a first to score wins scenario. I think it's one nil, whether it's Minnesota, whether it's the Red Bulls. Um, I think it's I think it's going to be one nil uh, the score line, but I don't know which team is going to be the one to get that goal. I, could I wish I could have made that line. prediction. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm the host, Eric. I can do what I want. I can do what I want. It's the perks of being I the host. I usually don't do predictions because I'm always like, oh, I'm going to drink some. <laughs> See, it's my job to put the guest on the hot seat, not myself. Come on now. Come on now. Um, Eric Friedlander, tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. And then I'm also writing on Medium at Eric Friedlander1, I think it is. So, but you can find me at Twitter, efreed97. And yeah, I'll just, I live tweet the games. I post, you also have to deal with my A10 basketball obsession. So, oh boy. Yeah. If you oh, like that's, that's ramping up hardcore this, this week, right? Yeah. The well, right? UMass, I'm a UMass grad. So, UMass <laughs> is once again a very disappointing men's basketball team. So, not much tweeting there, but yeah, long-suffering UMass fan, long-suffering Red Bull fan. You can find it all on my Twitter, efree97. Hey, we're, we're recording at uh, just uh, just before 4 p.m. here on Thursday in about two and a half hours. My fighting Illini take on Penn State in the Big Ten tournament. And I'm going to be an absolute basket case during that. So uh, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Well, Eric Friedlander, appreciate you. Everybody watching or listening, support independent media, support independent uh, journalists and reporters covering this league and doing their best to bring great coverage of this league, um, including what Eric's doing with the Red Bulls. Eric, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. No worries. Thank you for having me. This is fun.